Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. Migrants are still coming to Chicago by bus, mostly sent here from Texas by the governor there, Greg Abbott. And when those buses arrive, a few things happen, or are supposed to happen, according to Sun-Times reporter Michael Loria. The way that the city is trying to have it right now is that they're trying to have folks arrive at what they're calling a landing zone, which is basically an area where there's like a, a bus stop. That bus stop is by the Maxwell Street Market on the near west side. And then when folks arrive there, there are volunteers from local community organizations who are there to help receive folks, maybe help with issues of translation, as well as now that it's much colder, you know, pass off at least a couple quick items like um, some bags of warmer clothing, blankets. Then Michael says officials try to figure out if migrants are going to stay in Chicago or move on. Uh, And if they're trying to stay in Chicago, then the process has been to then move them to a police station where they'll wait for, it really depends on their situation. It could be a very long time. It could be could be a couple days, could be a couple months. From there, they're meant to go to a city shelter. And the process of moving folks from bus stop to police station to shelter, this has some issues and some changes. For one, Michael says the city is trying to move away from placing migrants in police stations. And last month, Mayor Brandon Johnson's administration announced a time limit for new arrivals. They can only stay in shelters for 60 days. We are implementing a tiered 60-day shelter stay limit combined with robust case management. Today, Michael is here to talk about his most recent reporting on where migrants are living. But also how they're getting there, whether it's to an apartment, a shelter, a police station, or somewhere in between. We're also going to hear from environment reporter Juan Pablo Ramirez Franco, who's been following the botched plans to put up winterized base camps in Brighton Park. You know, before state regulators said the soil was too toxic to host migrants there. The city found all kinds of contaminants on the site. So this includes heavy metals like lead, arsenic, manganese, uh, a lot of mercury. Um, Also chemical compounds like cyanide, pesticides, PCBs were also found. But first, I asked Michael to talk about that 60-day shelter limit. Specifically, where are people going to go after 60 days? That's a really good question and a big question. I think a lot of people are thinking about this right now. When people are in city shelters, they can get access to a state rental assistance program that will set them up with an apartment for several months. That's where some of the people have been going, and I think that's kind of the hope that folks will use this program more quickly. But You know, if people at the end of their 60-day period have not had success through that program or finding an apartment on their own, then they have to leave the shelter at that point, and then they can reapply for a space in a shelter again. Before migrants were even being transported here um, in in droves, (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. there were plenty of unhoused and housing and secure folks already in Chicago. And they were, you know, they were often unable to get housing assistance so who who is managing housing assistance for migrants mm-hmm. when they come here, and do they have the capacity for this? Yeah, that's also a great question. Um, in the city shelters, there's a state program for rental assistance, and that's being largely administered by Catholic charities. Okay. And whether they have capacity for that is another question, and I think the short answer is no. 
uh, just looking at the rate of folks who are getting out of the shelter system through that program and also talking with some of the migrants themselves. You know, one of them was kind of taking me through his experience of the process. So he is a migrant staying at a Northside shelter. He's from Venezuela. His name is Juan Carlos. And um, he was telling me about how he was going through the program to try and find uh, an apartment for his wife and his kid and himself and how there is sort of the standard process, which is where the program administrator is supposed to help you find an apartment or there is, quote, the fast track process where folks are supposed to find an apartment on their own and then they'll bring that back to the housing program administrators who will then give them the rental assistance. But I think sort of calling it the fast track program is very much a way of telling migrants to, hey, look for these apartments on your own because we cannot find them for you. A lot of folks are having some success walking around neighborhoods and just looking for for rent apartment signs and then they try and go and talk with the landlord there. Sometimes landlords are okay with it. Sometimes they're not. I think it's kind of tricky because these folks don't have typical things that landlords ask for, social security numbers, credit scores, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's been kind of a big ask, actually, I think, to get landlords to be willing to participate in the program to, you know, actually get folks into housing. I mean, it sounds like a great program in in a lot of ways, but the trick is whether people are going to be able to afford those apartments at the end of the rental period, which is, I think, a concern for everyone involved, from the migrants to the state to the landlords. Yeah. And tell me, how do the, the work permits factor into all of this? And Right. That's that's exactly it. So I think the idea is that while folks are applying for work permits, they can have a stable apartment that's covered by the state. And the idea is that by the time their work permit comes through, that'll be about the same time when the rental assistance uh, dries up. So mm. at that point, they should be able to get a job and keep working. But How fast those work permits come through really, really varies. You know, it can be several months for some people. And even then, at the end of that, there's no guarantee there's necessarily going to be a job that they're going to be able to work. I mean, a lot of these people or, you know, many of them have professional credentials back in whatever country they come from. Um, But that's not necessarily something they're going to be able to do here. Like I was talking with a um, teacher today from Angola who uh, was a primary school teacher, homeroom school teacher and like... We definitely have needs for those types of teachers, but, you know, to actually have the credentials to do it uh, is another question. So we're going to get into those planned tent camp sites in a minute. But first, let's get into the shelters. The city has been looking at buildings that already exist to house migrants. Some of them are churches. As far as other places that are not churches, how is it going with some of those sites that are being considered? I know Amundsen Park was being considered for a while. Yeah, Amundsen Park was being considered. That was, I think, that first came out in either um, early October or late September when there was about like 3,500 migrants staying at police stations in O'Hare. I mean, the need for space was like very obvious, right? People needed to get out of police stations um, but the city ultimately nixed that plan because basically there are a lot fewer folks in police stations right now. And part of that is because they've opened up other other shelters. So there wasn't the need to use this hmm. West Side field house. Uh, and right now, you know, the numbers are a lot lower. There's about um, close to 700 folks in police stations and airports. OK. Yeah. And so are those other shelters like all over the city or are they mostly kind of concentrated in one spot? Do you have a sense mm. of like 
if can you tell me about those shelters? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so the shelters are all over the city. A lot of them are close to downtown and in the loop. Some of the biggest ones are uh, right downtown in River North, or uh, another one of the biggest ones is right kind of where Pilsen becomes Bridgeport. And are these like field houses? Are they what types of structures are these? Do you have a sense? It really varies. A lot of them are field houses. Like there's one at the I'm not sure how to say this Leone. Okay. Yeah, it's it's at a field house right on on the lake on the north side. I believe it's in Rogers Park, all the way up there. You know, I guess in like another time and place would be a great place to have a house. <laughs> um, kind of a different story, I guess, when you're staying in a shelter. But mm-hmm. uh, the rest of them, you know, there's a lot of other hotels that are being used. Like another Super Super Eight in that same neighborhood is being used. Uh, the Inn of Chicago is another hotel that's being used. Um, I think what's kind of important to highlight here is just the range of experience folks are getting as they're getting into different shelters. Yeah. There's different access to different resources. There's different access to like what type of privacy people have, which I think makes a big difference in sort of their their short-term success and, you know, possibly their long-term yeah. success here in the city. Sounds like kind of a toss-up, you know, depending on where you end up. Yeah. That colors your experience. I think they do try and prioritize some people for certain things. Like I was talking with um, a woman who does a lot of medical work with migrants, and she was telling me a little bit about how a lot of um, families that have special needs children are brought to one of the downtown shelters where it's a hotel. So these families have more privacy, which is obviously um, essential for families in that situation. I mean, some of these other places don't have that much privacy. I met another family with uh, a child with special needs that they were in a shelter on the south side where they didn't have that privacy. And honestly, it drove their daughter like she couldn't stand it. So they had mm. to leave the shelter. And then they ended up going back to a police station. And the mother that I spoke with seemed very much unsure of where whether she made the right decision. Michael, do you have a sense at all about how migrants are doing their own organizing amongst themselves to find shelter? Yeah, so some folks are having success essentially finding apartments together, right? Splitting the rent between several people, in that sense, kind of forming their own sort of uh, communities in that way. Mm-hmm. I think also this far along, since the buses first began arriving in August 2022, there are, you know, a lot of those folks from those earliest buses are in a much better position now. And at least anecdotally, I'm being told that a lot of folks, or at least some, some folks arriving now, are have people here that they can stay with. Okay. Which is interesting. I mean, this is kind of putting them into the category of, uh, of essentially maybe living like some other regular unhoused Chicagoans, which is living doubled up. Um, but we'll see how that plays out down the line. Juan Pablo Brighton Park was being considered as a site at one point. It's on 38th Street in California. And the Johnson administration ultimately could not place migrants there. But there were concerns from folks living in the neighborhood from the beginning. And I know you talked to a lot of those folks. Can you give me a sense of what their main concerns were? Yeah. What they kept pointing to over and over again was that there was this real sense of 
um, safety that was going to be lost if all of a sudden the city plopped down some thousand or even two thousand migrants on that Brighton Park site. Mm. So we do have tape from Esmeralda Gutierrez. She was at a press conference after the city had pulled out of Brighton Park and she was still very upset that the city had even considered this option. Putting this big, huge amount of people concentrated in one place for beginning, it's not even safe for them. It's not safe for them. Who's going to take care of the safe of the kids go, walking around on the streets going to school? The ladies that are in the morning and at nighttime going outside go, taking care of the dogs and stuff. They're not going to be able to guarantee that for our people, our communities. It is not, be, it's not, not logic to put this huge amount in one place. Yeah, and, and we have another Brighton Park resident. This is Jacqueline Suniga. She was speaking up at the same press conference, um, and she was grateful. This is this was what she had to say. She was grateful that the city had decided or that the city was being forced to now reconsider this option. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm grateful that we have succeeded here today in not allowing the, for this to happen. This would have been pretty bad for our area. This is going to be bad for other areas if that's still something to be concerned about. I'd say that like something to add here, though, is that this isn't like some sort of heartless campaign against the migrants. Like there was some real sympathy for the for the for their cause. You know, I talked to Esmeralda just a little bit afterwards and she and she told me that she said, you know, like, I don't want something bad to happen to these people. This isn't a good solution for them. Mira, eh, se, se ha necesitado tanto para usarse para la comunidad y no han podido limpiarlo. ¿Y cómo es posible que intenten poner familias o personas y, y aunque no sean niños? Nadie merece estar en un lugar contaminado. Va a perjudicar tu salud a largo plazo. ¿Quién te lo va a garantizar? And so there what Esmeralda is saying is that this kind of plan didn't make sense because even just going back into like the kind of historical pollution that had been on the site, the city hadn't even addressed that previously. And so... To mm. now put these migrants there and to all of a sudden put all these resources there it just didn't make sense. And it didn't seem like something that she thought the city could effectively do. Yeah. Yeah, I like that we played both these these tapes because, I mean, there really is this plan has been opposed both by folks from the neighborhood who are voicing some some concerns about security, but as well as from a lot of people who previously had been supporting Mayor Johnson, but disappointed in this plan, which uh, again, the IEPA said was not safe for folks to stay on. Uh, and also they've been frustrated by the lack of transparency throughout the entire process. Mm. So it's been kind of facing pushback from both parties. Exactly. And I'll add that like at the very end of Esmeralda's clip, she says that who's going to guarantee their health? You know, because yeah. at the end of the day, this was contaminated land. And so her whole point was that they don't, nobody deserves to live on contaminated land. Yeah. Especially, I mean, even if you're, no, uh, regardless of the circumstances by which you ended up here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let, let's talk about that contaminated land. Um, the city has been working on these environmental reports on the tent campsites that they consider, including Brighton Park. Um, There was an 800-page report on that site, top-level. Juan Pablo, can you tell me what were some of the findings? Yeah, so this report dropped about two weeks ago, so December 1st, 8 p.m. at night. Um, The important things to know here is that the city found all kinds of contaminants on the site. So this includes heavy metals like lead, arsenic, manganese, uh, a lot of mercury. Um, also compounds, chemical compounds like cyanide, pesticides, PCBs were also found. Um, the report noted that the majority of these contaminants had been cleaned up. 
So by the time we saw this report and we had a sense of what the remediation and uh, their sampling had looked like, the city had said that the site, even though it did need some more remediation and would get done by December 9th, that it was all right and that it was suitable for temporary residency. Um, The state kind of came in early next week and said, hold on, we want to review this plan and make sense of it. And then shortly after that, the state said no, that this wasn't going to go forward. What the state said was that the remediation and the sampling that happened on the site were insufficient, that they didn't even meet the standards that the state sets for itself. Hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of where we were left, which was that the state the state pulled out from that project altogether. Juan Pablo, were, were you able to speak with folks after the decision was made? I mean, how are residents feeling about still having this basically kind of unsafe site in their community, like still living around the corner and next door to this place? Yeah, absolutely. They were still really upset. And they were hoping that just because the city no longer plans to put migrants on the site, that that is not an excuse to not continue the remediation process. Yeah. And they were also pointing to all kinds of pollution that is still ongoing in that community that they want to see addressed. And that's part of what was going on at this presser. Well, thank you both for your reporting. Uh, Michael Loria is a staff reporter at the Chicago Sun-Times, and Juan Pablo Ramirez-Franco is an environment reporter through a partnership with WBEZ and Grist, which is a national climate magazine. Juan Pablo, Michael, thank you. Thanks. Anytime. You can find Juan Pablo's environmental reporting on tent campsites and plenty of other environmental issues at WBEZ.org. And Michael Loria's stories in both English and Spanish are at chicago.suntimes.com. And that's it for today. Thanks to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Brendan Banizak is our executive producer. Justin also engineered this episode. Our theme music is by Louis Weeks. The Rundown is produced by WBEZ Chicago and is a part of the NPR Network. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. Have a good weekend.